This is the Red on Red podcast on redfm.ie. This week on the podcast, we're talking with Shukra and Lake Rama vocalist Sunita Apiakarang.
Rosalind Steer with Tiger Motherman and the dearly departed Saint Yorda with Manta Ray taken from their songs we did with Cahill EP from 2011 I believe this is Red on Red Cork's new music podcast dropping every Wednesday via redfm.ie as well as iTunes and as of this week Google Podcasts as well as other audio platforms my name is Mike McGrath Brian and for the next hour or so we're talking with Lake Rama and Shukra vocalist Sunita Apiakarang Sunita how's it going? Good now, yeah. You were just back from Body and Soul there of the weekend. How did that all go? Indeed, yeah, with Body and Soul intact just about. Uh, yeah, it was a wonderful time. It was a very uh, loungy and relaxed and very kind of special Body and Soul given the weather and just also the, the volume of talent and unreal acts that were on. And we had a particularly fun show. We were playing in the Wonderlust stage. And yeah, everyone was really receptive and ready to get down. So it just made it super easy. One of the strongest parts of the lineup and the reason why I'm kind of kicking myself, I missed it a little bit, <sighs> was the Irish lineup on the Bulmer stage. Yeah. We were talking about it a little bit before we kind of went on just... Yeah. Like it, it, it was very strong in terms of like an Irish lineup across all stages. Yeah. What were some of your highlights? I saw um, John Hopkins. He was headlining, and it was a ridiculous show. I'd, I've listened to him a little bit, but I, I, you know, I wouldn't say I would have been like his, you know, hardcore number one fan yeah. as such. But um, an amazing show, really good. Um, on the kind of on the Irish front, I saw a little bit of the bonk. They were unreal. Mm. Uh, it was just a pity that they were kind of just on maybe a little bit before we had to kind of hit the stage for for our own show. But yeah, they're they're brilliant. Um, the Dark Orchestra I saw later on that night, and that was just a journey. I'd say that uh, you know people were kind of drifting in and out of it and stuff. But yeah, uh, it, yeah it was definitely something totally different to you know engage with um, for a body and soul type show. You're hitting the festival circuit now, just off the back of your new single yeah. uh, Don't Wanna Doubt You yes. how have you found the reception to it? Great yeah yeah. I mean it's it's a fun tune and uh, yeah no, it's getting it's getting the spins and people are kind of hitting us back and saying that they're loving the boppy kind of vibes and they're liking what they're hearing of our new direction as such uh, so far um, so yeah like there's there's more to come we still have some more to do with that we have a music video that's going to come out and we're working with um, uh, the Wonderfully, wonderfully talented guys of Crooked Gentlemen um, yeah. up in Dublin. They do videos. Um, so, yeah, we're really looking forward to sharing that in the near future. And, yeah, we have one more single work. We're collaborating with other people as well, like, um, you know, Mer- or God Knows Rather from from uh, Russell and Gano family is possibly going to feature on the album as well. So cool. there's lots of new and uh, exciting things to, to, uh, to come. Yeah. We'll get a little bit into the new material and upcoming stuff a little bit later on. Mm-hmm. But... Let's dial it back a little bit. Um, I heard you talking at the Outsiders Summit back in, I think it was January in yeah. Suez that the Outsiders End Collective put together. Uh, kind of at the outset of this podcast, we interviewed Outsider YP uh, about putting something like that, that together. together yeah. And you can hear that on demand in your Google Podcast app. <laughs> um, but speaking at it, you kind of went through a lot of your musical history regarding Cork City and how you fit in. And I was surprised enough to learn that you had your start as an aspiring music journalist. What attracted you to the profession of music media specifically? The reason why I kind of wanted to do um, music journalism and there wasn't really a direct path as such was just because of the fact that I listened to a whole lot of of music. I I performed it, I played it. And aside from performing it, I also just really, you know, I kind of latched onto it from a very kind of conceptual standpoint. And even, even now, like, you know, if I talk about 
you know, old favorite artists of mine in terms of like Kanye or Beyonce or whoever it is. Like I very much look at all of their different albums kind of as their, you know, their de- development of their overall career and sound and such and it's not mm. something that's just like purely just an emotional a- attachment it has a kind of a value on a cultural level or even just on a, a deconstructing the music itself so from yeah from that perspective I really had wanted to to get into that in, in whatever way I can I did music and English in UCC and I hoped to kind of balance off the you know the the kind of um, perspectives that I'd be getting in, in doing both of that and maybe veer off and do a journalism course now naturally it didn't I didn't go down the full journalism course path mm. uh, in the end but um, but it was yeah it was definitely something that I, that um, the music and, and English course helped to build my mind on because it's all critical kind of thinking and analysis and kind of you know weighing up things in terms of its general um, context and, and uh, importance within that you know. What do you make of the current kind of Irish media slate at present? Obviously, a lot of changes regarding Irish music in the last couple of years with different places going out of business and falling of the print operations etc. Yeah, yeah, it's an interesting time, isn't it? Because you kind of have this, you know, people really operate from the digital space. And I would, you know, I do within that, you know, I I wake up probably and I check my phone and I look up, you know, different things like NPR, Afropunk or whatever it is and stuff like that for the niche things that I'm particularly interested in. Mm. So it's a a hard place, but then it still very much has its, uh, it still has its relevancy and its presence because like, I'm, you know, like my my parents definitely read the paper and they like doing that. And there's definitely ritual and ceremony kind of formed around that and stuff. So it's not that it's lost its um, importance or relevancy or that, it, it you know, it's completely going to die out. But uh, it is an interesting one to see as to how these institutes or these kind of organizations or these kind of founding fathers for all of the stuff that we now tap into on, on the Internet uh, maintain, um, you know, their actual existence. You know, you, you see on, you know, The Guardian that, or, you know, or any of these kind of like online newspapers you know do you want to donate and fund us because this is you know this is how you're getting your good content reality check we actually mm. have to pay people that do this so um, I think it's good to kind of stay you know stay in touch with that following that love what it is that you're doing but remind them on a very human level that we're not here by some kind of you know um, fanciful you know uh miraculous situation we we do need your support you know a lifelong interest in music obviously not only informed you in terms of music journalism but as you mentioned earlier you had to start with performing music around that same time as well what was your background with performance and kind of how did you find your feet in the cork music scene of circa eight to ten years ago yeah yeah exactly yeah um well yeah I, i i you know i very much kind of found my feet by just you know very um you know, anxiously going to things like Capriccio or, you know, and, and that was kind of my only maybe um, segue into the actual music scene because, that you know, I was in college, I was 17, 18, I wasn't even really allowed to go to pubs and stuff like that. So it wasn't as if I was like in any kind of nightclubbing or gigging kind of a scene as such. I just yeah. went to the, the school things that were going on, um, you know, before people would ID me and saw, you know, bands like Capriccio who would have constituted like Dan Walsh and Patrick Freeman here in Cork and stuff yeah. and, and James as well, uh, or Shane rather, Shane Fox rather um, and you know through them then they'd be like oh yeah we you know we perform jazz and this happens here and there and stuff and there was also that open platform for me to kind of come up and you know ask us whether they knew a certain amount of repertoire and then I'd sing it and stuff and and that was very much the foundation of me kind of singing in a non kind of scripted or too orchestrated way because my previous uh, history of performance was like vocal training uh, 
like stage school and theatrical stuff like that. So that mm. was all like, you know, you know, performing operettas and, and Chicago and all that kind of stuff. And you're safe within that because all you, you know, you put on your rigmarole, you know, the, the, the context of the musical or the operator, whatever it is that you're doing. And then you just, you know, you relay it and you answer the questions as per your, your instructed. But this was very much a raw kind of uh, exposing experience of, you know, performing tunes that I liked in front of people that are peers that who can really scrutinize me according to my current talent rather than to a thing that I'm doing within a frame, you know? Yeah. So, um, yeah. And then from there, basically, curiosity grew, you know, I, maybe the, the literary um, journalism side of things probably took a bit of a, a standstill and I was just like, yeah, I'm interested in, you know, I'm interested in studying music and I'm interested in studying English. But actually, the more that I performed, the more that I kind of got the craving to do more of it and kind of see as to what it is that I can come up with. So that was cool. One of your earliest ventures would have been the... Um, it's hard to kind of put a name on them now, but Mustache Latte would have turned up around the same time around the pavilion alongside other bands like Stink and so forth, yeah. kind of on the precipice between funk, soul <laughs> and so forth. Yeah. Um, you get to start with Mustache Latte. How did that come about? And what were those kind of earlier jams like before that mutated into something early, else? Early iterations of, of what is now. Um yeah, like like that, you know. So I mean, it, it's very much it's kind of a Venn diagram. So I would have known, you know, um, Dan Walsh from college. He would have sat and played drums for my jazz recitals and my pop recitals. And Dearmit as well would have done my like final year recital, which was kind of just the part, you know, the the, the time um, in life in which I was leaving college. So there's not that orbit in which you're just stuck with loads of singers, drummers, you know, guitarists, whatever, and just performing stuff and having the laugh. Anything that I wanted to do from here would have to actually create the opportunity to do my own self. So. Dan and the lads were kind of starting to play with Stink. They were like, hey, do you want to you know, play a few Eric Badu tunes? Because they knew that I was mad on her in around that time. I was like, hell yeah, that's class. And then it was in the pav and I was like, oh my gosh, this is like a huge, you know, venue and platform. And, uh, you know, uh, uh, there's a current scene already happening here that I was totally unaware of. And there I am, you know, getting that opportunity, which is really class. And then from that, you know, I did covers, gigs sent for the, the restaurant that I was working in at the time. And then other friends that I was kind of mingling with that I only knew in a kind of socializing context then would come over and support and that was cool and they were like hey yeah we should actually you know create a band and then that was the foundation of like Emmett myself and Daniel uh, Colin and David Carey at the time forming Mustache Latte and maybe drafting in a couple of other friends that we were like yeah you've got the talent for this that and the other let's just play around and see as to what happens so it's totally or- organic in that sense you know. When we come back, we'll talk about what Mustache Latte eventually turned into. But right now, we're going to go back to the playlist that you've put together for us this week. Earlier on, we had Rosalind Steer and a project that she was involved with called St. Yorda. But right now, you got uh, some rock and roll here with uh, Black Pope, One Shot Kill. Yeah, I picked this because uh, I, I was actually in a CSN following my uh, degree in UCC with... Um, John and he was just a remarkable he is a remarkable performer and writer and he had this old timely way of writing lyrics that just seemed like they should all be you know on like yeah, some kind of you know Kill Bill type soundtrack and stuff so um, yeah I like to endorse him as much as I can because I don't know as to whether people have heard the word that he's the Black Pope and he's here to steal your soul so enjoy and you also have some organic techno with Oos with heavy afro um they were at one stage kind of just weekly regulars almost at gulped and you know they're always busy they're always kind of ticking over but we haven't really heard from them live in a little while what's your take on them yeah i really dig what they do like aren't they kind of they're nearly like uh improvisatory electronic stuff you know as far as i saw those you know on those regular occasions that they were performing in in gulped i think they're you know yourself they're like all excellent uh musicians individually like sam clay josh samson um 
who else have you got in the mix there? Um, Eden Ray as well. They're they're top musicians, so I know that they probably will do something else because they just like to mess around and make good music. But who knows as to whether it'll be like Usur or something else altogether. We'll head straight into it. So this is Black Pope with One Shot Kill here on Red on Red.
Oose with Heavy Afro here on Red on Red. We're back in studio with Sunita Apiakarang. And Sunita, before we went to break, we were talking a little bit about um, Mustache Latte and that kind of earlier gigging scene around the PAV. At what point does Mustache Latte begin to evolve into something else and become the many-headed beast now known as Shukra? So, yeah, I suppose it kind of happened... uh in around maybe 2014, 15 or something like that. Uh, and it was after we decided that we were recording an EP. I think we possibly were already in the process of doing that or in the process of trying to kind of um, launch ourselves soon enough. And um, yeah, and probably release the single woman. Um, and yeah, it came to hell. Like we, we changed we changed faces within the band as well. So, you know, um, one of our friends, Sarah Buggy, who had been playing keys, was replaced by Dermot McCarthy, who had recorded on that first EP. Mm. Um, probably changed bassist as well. One of our friends, Joe Cronin, had stepped in at that stage uh, for David Carey, who was the original band member. And so, yeah, with that came change in a sense of like, okay, well, are we even happy with the name that we have? Are we happy with the way that we present ourselves out in the world? And do we want to be, you know, held to this? So we had a, a name change at that point, basically like a kind of a, a summit in ourselves, in my in my home with yeah. eight people there, you know, writing ridiculous names down and suggestions. I think there's like Pleasure Island and all kinds of things like suggested <laughs> as well. Yeah, you know, uh, just setting the tone right for what it is that we wanted to do uh, and loads of protests against it on the grounds that our mams would not be able to, to say the name out. <laughs> uh, but yeah, yeah. long story short, we just basically, we brainstormed and brainstormed and came to an agreement that Shukra, but spelled phonetically, was the, the thing that we wanted to be called and that it was, yeah, that it was, you know, uh, suggestive enough, but without being too transparent as to, I suppose, the vibe that we're trying to kind of convey. Um, yeah, and that with that became the decided formation of everything that we've done since. A musical evolution also takes place. Obviously, yeah. you know, Woman made a fantastic impact when it was released um, and it starts to get on radio. It starts getting a lot of traction um, on the web. Obviously, it touched on something that is a continual theme mm. in Shukra's work, which is obviously the power of womanity. Sure. Um, how did the tune come together? Because it's a very, very strong tune with obviously a lot of those kind of classic, classic uh, yeah. soul influences yeah, kind of yeah. came together in that regard. But with its own, like you could see the beginnings of a proggy, mathy uh, type of arrangement in some of the in some of the aspects of it. Exactly. What was the process of writing the tune? Uh, funnily enough, I'd written the tune already. Yeah, and like at that time, I suppose the way that we were writing tunes was a lot different to how we do it now. At that time, I would kind of write a lot of the melodic ideas and maybe some suggestions of the bass line. Um, and that was the same with like an old tune that we, we every now and again perform called Aphrodisiac and that was definitely a song way more of, of the Mustache Latte era but yeah Woman probably was like the last song of the Mustache Latte era that I'd written myself I think I'd written it the summer that I finished college uh, living in around Bishop's Palace with, with friends and so the melody of it as such was completely my own and um Maybe even the bass string, the vocals and stuff like, uh, yeah, the, during the the verses, that was something that I kind of had used as a foundation for it. And then I, you know, we brought it. I brought it to the lads, and um, yeah. And then as far as you know, adapting it, it was like, yeah, this is cool, this is groovy, this is kind of the blues, but let's vamp it up a little bit. Let's add some, you know, let's add some static to it, or kind of just make it a little bit punchier, or kind of defined in its structure. And and that's where then you know Dan and Emmett especially. 
at that time and probably Joe as well because they would have been in the band Plinth uh, from, yeah. from years previous who I'd never seen at that stage but they kind of would have you know brought that you know you know chromatic kind of static thing going on there uh, and then yeah that was kind of the flavour then of, of what I suppose Shuker was and then obviously Dermot at that stage was kind of more solidified in the band and he you know was um, amplifying the soulfulness with the keys and stuff and, and bringing that kind of gospel to it so uh, yeah it was cool and and that was the best kind of way I suppose at that time to write tunes was just like maybe someone goes off and you know does a little bit of doodling and you know and then everyone else kind of fills in the actual the anatomy of the thing you know the video was wonderful as well from what I can ask oh, yeah. from what I remember of it um, hmm. were you party to any of that kind of visual imaging for the song happening or yeah I think so yeah I mean like at the time so Emmett obviously uh, Emmett our drummer um, and Daniel our guitarist are also uh, part of their own little skit group called Darren and Robot Club. So they're, you know, they're well versed in use in terms of using cameras and editing things and, and composing a narrative in a video. Um, so totally exploited that. I kind of said that I really wanted to have uh, various different representations of women or, or not something that like I wanted to state in a proud and kind of um, very pointed way that, yes, you know, Womanity is cool and feminism is cool and being a feminist is a thing that is worth regarding and it doesn't necessarily mean that you are, you know, abiding by any strict rules of, of how that, you know, how that expresses itself. So I, I definitely wanted to have someone like um, Jamie in the video, you know, so someone that, you know, basically is a performing, uh, you know, in the performing trans and and kind of, you know, queer world of either doing drag or either doing cross-dressing or either doing performance for particular type of, of shows. And they take on very much the role of being a woman and they might identify as so outside of those particular constructs as well. So I really wanted to have him as part of it um, and, and maybe have this juxtaposition of like myself and maybe the girls getting ready, doing our kind of normal getting ready woman things and rather than play to the the traditional like ah oh, you know ma- doing makeup like you know I'd have all these people fussing and fretting over me and trying to do all of that stuff and maybe I wasn't that into it and stuff maybe that's not my particular version of, of womanity but I'm still very much full in that and uh, you know and I take ownership over it so yeah the narrative as far as the narrative I very much I, I think that I yeah I, I remember kind of being like this is exactly what I would like for it to uh, uh, translate as um and and then yeah, in fairness, Dan and and Emmett and pa- Patrick Sheehan, our friend as well, were very good for ordering that into something coherent. Obviously, woman acted as a lead-in for your first EP, Implicit Content, and you know, like you said, you had been writing tunes while the band was still Mustache Latte before kind of morphing into or mid morph rather, mid morphus, for Shukra. Um, what was the creative process like? on that EP together kind of knowing the kind of changes in personnel and changes in aesthetic that were happening across Mm -hmm. the band what was that whole creative process and post-production process like? It was it was educational because that was our first um, stint at any of that I think that Emmett had had some experience obviously recording and doing something like that you know making a body of of work but that was with his friends and that was something that they were doing on their own this time this time round we were working with Chris Summers and recording with him up in his um, studio um and yeah, I mean, obviously we had, you know, the kind of challenges of finances because we weren't really all that well established. We'd kind of saved all the, the cash that we'd make at different gigs in Cork and stuff like that. But yeah, even at that, we hadn't any particular national presence. Um, so we, yeah, we were, you know, we were struck by a financial challenge as well as like trying to allocate the right amount of time relative to the finances that we had to make this EP. Um, the songs were very much... Um, 
like in one sense it felt like they were organized and that we knew what we were doing because we had been practicing as mustache latte for a while but because we had such a changeover in people we changed two bases at that point you know a keyboardist our saxophonist was not really all that well so we had like a standby saxophonist as well so at that point there was like nine people that we kind of had uh, on stand like you know ready to record this um, EP and the songs were relatively fixed but familiarity of playing them and also just that room for a little bit of improvisation and playing around with sound and adding things and subtracting things uh, wasn't really factored in so it was very much a learning curve and we, we did it we did it within the time but it was really stressful um, and Chris made it as you know as simple as he possibly could and out of it he actually made an unreal EP we were so delighted with the, the final product I think it way exceeded my expectations or, or rather I'd never listened to myself retrospectively in a kind of professional like context where you have a recorded song that you've written that you're attached to and you're like oh actually this is the outcome the finished product of it so it's something that we we're really proud of but it was very much early days and and, and you know like we didn't even really kind of consider things like post-production and you know stuff like that so by the time that we'd come around to deciding that we wanted to do a second EP I think that we knew exactly what we didn't want to do from the first time but you know very much valued the the things that we took away from it at this time you're also kind of flexing your collaborative muscle in other ways uh yeah. working with Graham S on the Lake Rama project, which kind of showcased another use mm. for your voice and kind of played to the strengths of your voice in another way. But you're also working with kind of other producers on different projects yeah. like Le Galaxy, Dahi, mm. etc. What are your recollections of these kind of secondary projects? Obviously, Lake Rama has been kind of the longest lasting of all of these relationships. There's been intermittent new material. Yeah. Just kind of around this time, also while also working with Shukra, you're also kind of doing all these guest spots and appearances. What's your whole kind of recollection at that time? Yeah, I mean, so the, the, I think the order of that nearly went that, you know, like I was doing stuff with Shukra and we were writing, kind of starting to record. But I had already had like a, a, a kind of a, a long-standing relationship with Ian Ring, especially and Brendan Canty um, of the Feel Good Lost um, uh, powerhouse. Um, it's hard to put a name to it, isn't it? I know. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a, it's an empire nearly, really. Mm. But like, yeah, they're 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 flipping it unreal. Um, so yeah, myself, I, I just kind of yeah, I think I was yeah. Ian Ring was producing Dahi's at that stage EP or album I'm not entirely even sure um, and they just kind of drafted me in for kind of vocals and stuff to try out some stuff and I ended up writing a couple of songs on the album I think those two two tracks Case Closed and eventually Golden Blush that was I think on the second uh, maybe album I think um, and so that was yeah and so from there then I then got introduced to the Galaxy through them eventually uh, and so the order of that yeah the Galaxy probably was happening in around the same time that I was kind of working with Graham and that was when I was kind of maybe getting a little bit more as you said stronger in my flex within that particular world because you know the songs with Dahi had kind of they'd done well and people re really were receptive to it and as much as I listened to stuff like that and definitely got down with it it wasn't really anything that I would be like oh this is stuff like this I'm going to write I'm going to collaborate with people and be a session vocalist and like songwriter on their tracks and this is a thing that I definitely would be doing on a professional capacity I was just very much like yeah cool thanks for asking me uh whatever you know um so uh so yeah then by the time that graham and i decided to formulate grandma i was kind of like yeah you know what i actually do find this interesting and i do like it and it, you know i do find some level of integrity in it and i'd like to see what i would come up with myself you know working with someone that i i kind of i trust in that you know um whose you know production uh, side of things is maybe a little bit on the on the kind of on the wavelength of stuff that i might really want to actually Put out as my own as well. I was about to ask, what are the kind of the differences in creative process between, say, sitting down with Shukra and kind of agreeing to everything, and just maybe sitting down with Graham, where there's less 
Um, mm. There's less time or less communication in terms of getting an idea finalized. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. I like I very much found at the time it was just really interesting to observe as well, you know, and and all of those different instances of recording in the different, um, you know, in the diff- with the different music uh, artists rather that that I was recording with were were interesting learning curves. Like with Shukri, it's a six at this point. It's like a six or seven piece um, band. Whenever I was, whenever Lake Rama was kind of starting. Um, and we were kind of get integrating the writing process a little bit more. It was less of my just kind of coming over with like, you know, two thirds of a kind of melody for a song and, a, you know, and for everyone else to kind of figure out what happens underneath that or how, how we structure it. Uh, so it was way more of a democratic or attempted democratic type situation. Uh, whereas with Graham, he lived in Limerick at that time. I lived in Cork. He'd send me like a minute and a half of a looped track, maybe with another idea or kind of a suggestion of a progression. And I would listen to it. I would write something either very quick or sit with it for a while. And I have that time to kind of sit with it, record something on my phone, but then also come back to it in two or three days time and kind of go pretend that that never happened. Give another go at it and see if you come up with something totally different and see if both of them in any way fit with each other. Or, you know, so it's way more puzzle piece uh, writing, really, kind of whenever you're working with production and stuff. You have that little bit of room in retrospect, actually, to hear it back because I was singing into my phone to something produced. Whereas in, in, in the live room, like sometimes you can just have a brain fart moments and no one's making any sense and it's just a load of white noise. And other times, you know, you know, it sounds good, but then you won't really have the opportunity, um, aside from the live you know moment of recording it in the room or you know or having the mess and playing it to retrospectively think of the the value of the construction of the song and what it needs and what it doesn't need and stuff whereas immediately whenever I'm going to produce music I was kind of like okay this is like a really heavy Afrobeat kind of you know um, jive when we come back we'll talk about Shukra's new material as uh, hinted at earlier on in the show but also hinted at earlier on in the show were the outsiders the outsider end crew and up next on the place that you've made for us is some new kill from Outsider Rafa. Yeah, yeah. I do you know what? I haven't necessarily um, followed Rafa in particular all that much, but uh, yeah, I was kind of I was just looking at stuff that's happening. Hogan is like, I happened to come by, and I was like, yes, I need to like yeah get into this more. So this is uh, this is my opportunity. And you also have Connor Muldowney with Sunday. Yeah, so Connor Muldowney is. To be fair, the list of people that I've, I've picked are kind of, you know, mostly or loosely friends of people that I've encountered and have been like, I respect your work. Uh, so Conor Muldowney is a friend of ours anyway. He's he's from Cork, uh, from, I think it's from Carrigaline. And he's a brilliant kind of bedroom producer that like, you know, if left to his own devices would be a mystery to the world and would never be known. He has a SoundCloud. You should go check it out. It's unreal. I think he calls himself Pound Cake on it. Um, but yeah, he's he's unreal. We might also draft him in, you know, uh, you know, in the near future for Shukri stuff because he's he's remixed some stuff for our, of ours and it's it sounds really chalky. I would equate him to, you know, LA scene type like Mind Design, Catronada esque type producers. He's he's got serious serious chops. So this is this is one of his own. Um, remixes that he has on YouTube. Savage. We're going to get a sample of some of those chops there momentarily. But first, Outsider Rafa with Late Night here on Red on Red. College girl listening to the radio. Heads in the clouds everywhere she goes. She don't really know. She don't really know what she wants. But she likes it. She loves it. And loves it. And loves it. But she likes it. She loves it. And loves it. And loves it. She lives for the moment in the late night. Can't wait for the morning to see the sunlight. Used to wait for you, but now she's alright. 
Now she's alright, now she's alright She don't need to fight no more She don't need your light no more The shadows don't appear no more She won't spend the night no Wondering, pondering why you left me for three o'clock It was coffee and cinnamon, yeah, you never got back to me Straightforward arrogance, all them angels brought roses From the garden of turbulence Know your heart used to be porcelain Now it's changed like you never sinned Left a sugary medicine for the bittersweet truth Looking better than you've ever been Tell me what's up with you Used to follow me like the shadows now following you Why won't you follow me back? Why won't you follow me back? Why won't you follow me back? Now I'm stuck following you Now I'm stuck following you I'm following you So this for the moment in the late night Can't wait for the morning to see the sunlight Used to wait for you but now she's alright Now she's alright, now she's alright She don't need to fight no more She don't need your light no more The shadows don't appear no more She won't spend the night no
Conor Muldowney, aka Pound Cake, with Sunday here on Red on Red. Still joined in studio by Sunita Apiakarang hey. of Shukra. And before we went to music, we were talking a little bit about how Shukra kind of bedded down into itself a little bit and how, you know, external collaborations had kind of informed your confidence in dealing in those situations. Mm-hmm. Um, second EP cliches, second EP cliches sees the band continue in a far more kind of proggy neo-soul direction and the difference between kind of the sunnier arrangements and horn blasts of woman and then the kind of out there kind of spacey mathy neo-soul of Garascophobia mm. is like night and day <laughs> I, I suppose what was the process regarding putting together the material for the cliches EP and in, in, in particular a lot more of those kind of complex a lot more spacey um, product yeah, arrangements. arrangements yeah. Uh, what was the process? The process was taking our time <laughs> um, because that was exactly what we hadn't really done or given our, ourselves the opportunity to do initially. And because also this time around we were recording it ourselves, um, there was a lot more leeway in terms of yeah taking our time, but also having the return to come back and listen to it. And then, you know, like the lads would spend probably two or three or four hour sessions just even on percussion alone or, you know, adding, playing around with different sounds of different things and stuff. You know, I think, you know, when you're rehearsing something, you're writing something, you know, there isn't maybe, unless you're practicing at a massive amount on your own, there still isn't that opportunity to kind of hear it in context with everyone else and just play around with like, this is a cool, you know, line or hook or whatever, but let's just literally go through the whole, you know, the whole list of all the different sounds that I have on the Nord or the Akai for, you know, in Dearman's case and see as to what would really amplify it for particular sections. Um, yeah, I mean, a Jerskophobia was, it was a cool one. Like, I think like that, it probably came from, the, the foundation of it probably came from Dearman. Um, with just the synth sounds and stuff and it can happen like that we could just be messing and he could be kind of playing maybe you know three or four part chordal you know um, sequence and I'll just start you know scratching down some words and stuff and start singing some melodies and stuff so I can't even really directly remember as to like what that whole process was because it was just over a good length of time it could have taken a month to write that song I'm not I'm not even entirely sure and that's like in all of its parts um and then, yeah, like that, it probably would have taken, you know, a, a decent amount of time to record it. The lads were kind of up and down to, we were recording it in Dearman's family home as well, out of the Lee Road. Maybe I shouldn't give the address away. Um, but uh, yeah, so like, you know, it was kind of one of those things where everyone had the opportunity to go back, listen to it, listen to the latest version of it, strip back, add more um, to it and and really kind of get the, the best optimum. The only thing that I think we recorded in the studio was the drums and that was with... Um, the late um, Lawrence White and Keith um, who had their their studio um, business so um, that was the only thing that was maybe like a fixing that was like you know that we couldn't really kind of go back on and and amend all that much So all of the care and the calculation both ways both in terms of like arrangement but also a feel Mm. uh, eventually pays off Mm. and you know obviously a lot more kind of live bookings a lot more kind of festival bookings start coming up and the band's profile Lifts, obviously, last year you were the Irish Times um, Band of the Year mm. and you've also been kind of listed in a lot of kind of ones to watch um, yeah, articles, yeah. etc. How do you feel about how the band's change in direction has been received and kind of what was the 
Have you seen kind of any difference in the day-to-day operations of the band in terms mm-hmm. of what these kind of little bumps in, in awareness do for you? As we decided to change the name to Shukra and as we decided to write an EP and stuff, we were like, okay, let's change our tune. Let's kind of, you know, let's change the trajectory here. This actually has a, a potential, you know, there's there were fewer things definitely happening in the space of what we were doing whenever we we wrote implicit content and, and put it out. So definitely it felt like, yeah, people, there was a need and there was a call and there was like a, yeah, cool people are receptive to this and it's different, not just purely on a on a level of, oh, this is Irish and it's different, but, you know, it's different generally in the in the landscape of R&B music and stuff. And we're like, yeah, this is cool. Like, it's cool to be able to contribute in that way and kind of go, yeah, we're really proud of that. That's something different and it's, it's fun and we like it. Um, but even again, since the last EP, you know, like we got a certain amount of return that was awesome and, you know, a lot of interest and like that bookings to do cool things like festivals like Electric Picnic and Nakatsuk and all that kind of stuff. And we were like, wow, okay, we weren't even necessarily being so um, aware of the fact that you could kind of get that return on on investment but but like but yeah that re- return on investment of your time and your attention and your care and stuff like that and obviously people you know our credibility was kind of building a little bit better so yeah we, we do make music that is of a certain quality that people can appreciate and uh, and you know in the last EP as well you know it was great to get all that attention it was great to be nominated and then you know voted the best band and that was a really nice validation for the length of time and the, the real kind of attention that we were trying to kind of put into the last EP and acknowledge that yes you know that it has it has a significance in terms of what's happening now overall within the Irish music sphere especially where urban music is concerned where there's this kind of real right like a, a fast moving um, rise of emerging acts that are, are of a, a very high quality and uh, yeah and I think it kind of it continues to kind of you know it continues to change our, our, our um, perception of where we think that we can go or what we think we can achieve you know personally for me I'm fairly or relatively ambitious and probably even pompous in that I would be kind of like yeah I mean look fucking excuse my language but let's go for gold you know Uh, I like stuff from all parts of the world and the people that are doing it are you know maybe from humble beginnings or might have that set agenda where they're like I want to you know do these kind of gigs within a three-year radius want to get this kind of following every single year I want to you know chart on you know this that and the other and maybe you know maybe that's their strategy maybe they have people behind them that are doing that I like learning about those things because they're interesting and they benefit me and if I want to make a career out of it you know uh, from music perspective they're realistic things that are so part of it and some people can be you know some can take a real puritan approach to it and I'm like cool hire the person that does the, the side of it that you don't necessarily like or else you know find yourself within that niche of what it is that you want to be in and and flourish in that way um so for me it does kind of um for me, it, it very much um, focuses my uh, attention on the areas that are really working well in terms of what we're doing and what it is that people are latching onto and what people like. But also it kind of gives me that little bit of foresight as to like, this is really cool. Maybe we could actually, you know, gig all year round and, you know, decide to take a break from what it is that we otherwise do as a kind of a nine to five type situation. Maybe this could be something feasible. And if we, you know, if we stay true to the heart of the music as well and make stuff that we really enjoy and make it good, um, without bearing too much in mind that you know there's a certain amount of expectation as we decide to you know to grow or to, to put more stuff out or to you know to chart as such in in different ways um, then I think then that would be the that would be the best case scenario like that's that's kind of where I would see us going and I think that the band would kind of fairly agree like that's that's where we're putting our, our time and energy towards in the process of creating these things that you love but also in the process of kind of going past these milestones and kind of capitalizing on momentum yeah. you the band is currently in the middle of creating its first full length. Um, a new single recently emerged, uh, Don't Want to Doubt You, mm. which 
not so much dialed back in the spaciness, but rather kind of focused on the underlying message of the song, which was mm. a way to talk about consent. Um, maybe take us a little bit through the imperative that kind of led you to create Don't Wanna Doubt You and I suppose what it says about how you're approaching the new record. Yeah, like I guess not so much that it was topical, but it was definitely on my mind. Uh, you know, we were playing around with the song and it felt like it was a kind of a summer love hook and stuff like that, you know, and I was just like, this is cool. I'm going to write like a, a love song about that initial phase where you're like, mm, you know, there's vibes floating around the place and stuff. But then also then that really, you know, that kind of just did bring me back to that moment because I was like, so I'm not single at the moment per se, but I have been single and you know a lot of the nervousness in around it is like oh man like don't mess it up by just being overly eager like jumping the gun like how do you read each other and all of that earliness and nervousness and exciting you know stuff that happens is all it it kind of is uh, centered or hinged on that question of consent but we don't really acknowledge it as that because it seems too formal or it seems like too much of a kind of a buzzkill so that's exactly what I wanted to address it's like I want to write a hooky like really fun love type tune bringing us into the summer, giving us that flirtatious, tingly, um, you know, skin feel. And also addressing the fact that like flirting and all of that stuff is completely hinged on consent. There's no point in walking around it or or ignoring that issue. It is completely like, do, do you want me to flirt with you? Do I want you to flirt with me? Are we flirting with each other? What's going to happen next? They're all questions and you're waiting for who's going to answer it first without maybe being too literal and kind of, you know, elongating that mystery and and fun around it. And that's the the part that I really wanted to focus on within the song is that like consent and having all of this room for, you know, curiosity and unanswered questions is fun. um, But so long as well as you're taking responsibility for how you're like taking responsibility for how people you know project messages or else literally say messages uh, within that context and so long as you're respectfully also taking ownership over the fact that you know it might be going for you you might be you know sending out those messages but it's not always going to be reciprocated and that's totally fine like life continues um but the not fun part is whenever it's misread and and and, and things kind of get skewed and i i think yeah i think you know there's all these heated conversations in around me too um Obviously, the case that happened over the last year as well was another thing that was a trigger point. Um, and it's it's like, you know, people are angry. Women are angry, especially. I'm angry. And it's important to it's important to be angry and articulate all of those things. And it's important for there to be room for discussion. There's also important for there to be a lot of room for listening and understanding more so as well. And I guess this was something that I wanted to maybe address where, you know, some women or men are like, Jesus, so is it like that we can now never have fun like flirting so like any kind of slight um you know uh gesture or a communication of something where it's like hey i like you can be kind of completely misconstrued and seem to be an antagonizing kind of a you know uh address and i guess yeah this song for me was kind of being like not necessarily it can still all be fun and um and yeah, and like I suppose reading people and actually reading it right and also having that little bit of room for confirmation as to whether you're reading it right is also part of that, like the fun of flirtation and the fun of summer romances and, and long, you know, long lasting romances or whatever else. But we've referenced comprehensively some sugar stuff. It's about time that we got to play it. This is the um, Ox Phoenix remix yeah. of Gerascophobia. Gerascophobia. Fucking hell. <laughs> Um, but what was working with Ox Phoenix like on this or what was his process do you know what I have no idea he said he wanted to remix it he did it or had maybe had maybe he planned it all along maybe he had a mm. remix and he was just checking in and we were just blown away completely we were like whoa this is class this kind of even takes it you know like what you're saying the kind of spatial 
proggy you know kind of experimental soul thing and it, it flips it on its feet in a production sense it really kind of amplifies certain parts and and um you know strips away like there's loads of vocal like parts that are just kind of you know them going on without any instrumentals and stuff so i, I for me actually i felt that it was it allowed for the lyrics of the the song or the the kind of vocal parts to be heard a little bit more understood a little bit more felt a little bit more because it's a bit moodier even again even though Cherescophobia in its original form is moody AF Um, but yeah I don't know what he did he just did some flipping magic and we are very proud of it and and glad to staying in the realm of magicians you also have David Mahuna aka Cocka Militia (laughs) yeah with no pain, no gain. Yeah. I didn't realize he had stuff out under the name. I thought it was just kind of something that he did on occasion. I know, yeah. I knew that they had some, like, they have some YouTube videos, so check them out if you're listening. Um, Kaka Militia. Um, I knew that they have some stuff there, but, like, he's he's a dexterous man with the words. Like, he can rap for days, and I've seen it, it like, in real life, at you know, at parties or whatever it is. But I'm really glad, yeah, that this is a reference point for just what kind of talent he has. He, he reminds me of, like, the the like Milo's and just yeah like Arch Trap is his thing and he knows how to do it we'll get into it in just a little bit but first this is the Auxiliary Phoenix remix of Shukra's Jurassicophobia here on Red on Red
From times Byzantium, I don't even know the half of them by heart, mind, or otherwise. Watch as I adopt guys after guys for them, slaughtering your best guys all clandestine like from behind the mic of righteousness. I should give a shit less. A sad sight to see you roly poly rolling over, overturned by my magnolia flow, a glowering over your sordid whores of a rover. All you marauding oracles forming and orderly by doors beneath the exit signs. Y'all be too busy rereading your own tweets to see me sneak up from behind and pull the rug out from beneath.
Talking Militia with No Pain, No Gain here on Red on Red. Before we wrap up this week's episode of the podcast, Sunita, Shukra is heading to Independence Festival. What are your thoughts? Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, it's our first time playing Independence. Uh, I've always wanted to check it out. It's really cool. There's an urban... Um, I think there's like an urban village there in a whole new section yeah. and um, I think Erica Cody and a, no- a host of other choice acts are playing it as YP, well. YP, yeah. etc. Yeah, 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 exactly. So like, yeah, they're like all my faves in, in Ireland doing their thing and really glad to be amongst them as well. Uh, we're playing on the Sunday, um, on the Sunday evening, I think. I'm not exactly sure as to the times, but we'll definitely update. Um, and yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. Like I, I think that that possibly is the last festival that we're playing that we know of anyway uh, for the year and then after that we're actually playing a headline show up in Wigwam in Dublin Oy. which we're going to we're going to announce shortly uh, aside from this one here yeah. Um, and yeah so we, we've got a couple of things lined up again we're kind of spreading it out just to allow for ourselves to really polish up and finish up the album You've got a number of different collaborative efforts mm. on the way also. Uh, we're kind of talking about it a little bit before we kind of went back on the air. Yeah. Uh, anything here you can talk about at the minute? Yes. Well, okay. So for starters, this very Saturday on the 30th of June, uh, I will be taking on my other formation, DJ Helicopter Parent. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to ask about that. Actually, I, I had this in my head all day. DJ Helicopter Parent. What an excellent name. How did that happen? Oh my... I actually... I have no idea. <laughs> I have no idea. I think... I have no idea. So, you know, I, I basically said I'd do a DJ set for Je ne sais quoi, which is um, the collective that a friend of mine, Michael Moran, um, has. And he was having this kind of a get together out in a country house somewhere. And he was like, do you have a DJ? And I was like, ah, ah, I don't know. And I think it was kind of something like that where I just randomly spread out the words. But do you know what? I did not know what the actual term a helicopter parent in any way referred to it was only <laughs> when I heard a friend go on about it saying it was an excellent name and then explain it that I was like oh yeah it was an excellent name and I came <laughs> up with it myself and googled it and I was like oh I get it but that's totally me as well so it was just yeah. a serendipitous moment really um, so that that's yeah Saturday with Defract and Genesequa and Plugged and that should be a laugh spinning some records and then aside from that um like yeah I'm separately kind of working on some stuff again vocal going back to vocal collaborations is kind of a fun thing that I like to do just to mix things up mm. and I have a bit more room and space to do that now like Grandma and I are kind of like taking a little bit of a break to maybe figure out what else we want to do um, so I'm you know I'm looking at working with Auxiliary Phoenix on some stuff as well of his uh, as well as him, drafting him in on some side projects of mine um, like that working with Connor Muldowney as well in the near future and stuff um, as well as looking to do things like you know more DJing like that and uh, setting up podcasts talking about different things myself and Denise uh, who lives in Limerick and is a master's on kind of um, like socioeconomics and kind of sexual health and practice and stuff we're going to do a talk uh Basically, we've been using this as an excuse to be friends because we both fangirled each other for ages. Yeah. But also, as as an addition to that, we're going to draft in other people that we're also observing in Ireland, in the in- intersectional space, people that are mm. either second or third generation migrants here or else, you know, people that are Irish as well, but also that engaged those kind of groups mm. and looking at... 
um, you know, music, arts, culture, fashion, food, anything like that that is making Ireland a little bit more of a fragrant place and kind of looking at their experience and, mm. and uh, getting a conversation going uh, from, from that standpoint. So be sure to check in to the Roundy slash Plugged Records on Saturday night to get an earful of DJ Helicopter Parent and make sure to check out Shukra on the Sunday of Independence Festival, August Bank Holiday Weekend. That's all from this week's episode of Red on Red, Cork's new music podcast from medfm.ie. Thank you very much to Sunita Apiakarang for joining us in the studio this week. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. And thank you very much for listening. If you like what you're hearing, please take the time to subscribe to us and leave a review on iTunes. And now, as of this week, Google Podcasts, as well as other, as well as other platforms. Share this on your social media and make sure to check out the artists featured online or at an upcoming gig. If you'd like more Irish tunes, please be sure to listen in to Green on Red on Sunday nights with Alan O'Donovan for the best of all that is Irish on Cork's Red FM, 104 to 106. Sunita, you're seeing us off with a bit of Column K. With oh, about it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> nice tie in there. Um, yeah, yeah, Column K is brilliant. Cork production dynasty. We'll get straight into it. So this is Column K with Seeing. This has been Red on Red and we'll talk to you next week.
Red on Red. This week on the podcast, we're talking with Shukra and Lake Rama vocalist Sunita Apiakarang. That is Apiakarang. Apiakarang, yeah. Yes. <laughs> 